It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is April 29th, 2020. My name is Phil Frostenreich. I'm the site expert and editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. Today's episode, as well as tomorrow's episode, going to be a very special episode. We did a live rewatch of the Orlando Magic's Game 1 win over the Chicago Bulls in the 1995 NBA playoffs has re-aired on Fox Sports Florida as part of their Magic Classics program. Uh, I'm joined by Adam Papagiorgio, Aaron Goldstone, and Zach Oliver to discuss what is perhaps the greatest game in Magic history, certainly the greatest moment in Magic history, uh, as we discuss both the 1995 Orlando Magic, uh, the Chicago Bulls, and Michael Jordan, as well as a little bit of context and uh, and, and comparison to where the Magic are at this year even. So a wide-ranging conversation that'll take over the next uh, roughly two hours of broadcast time here on Locked On Magic. You can, of course, watch the game yourself. It is available in the Orlando Magic Daily Video Vault. If you go to orlandomagicdaily.com, go to the top of the page. There's a button there that says Video Vault. Uh, if it's not there, it's under More. Um, click on Video Vault. Go to the 1995 Playoff section of the Video Vault, and you can find Game 1 of the playoff series against the Chicago Bulls. Of course, the game where Nick Anderson indeed stole the ball from Michael Jordan. Nick Anderson stole the ball from Michael Jordan. 6.2 seconds left. Nick Anderson stole the ball from Michael Jordan. Um, We'll be going over that entire game here over the next couple episodes of Locked On Magic. Um, Again, just so you know, that YouTube clip that I found um, does start at the 6.30 mark of the... um, of the first quarter because the game was joined in progress live as part of a triple header with N- uh, on NBC. A pretty crazy day in the NBA that d- that day in May, uh, nearly 25 years ago. Before we get into the into the conversation, though, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network. We're searching for every download podcast for Lockdown and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's podcasts covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want the lowdown from the Chicago Bulls, for instance, uh, especially with everything going on with the last dance? Check out Locked On Bulls. Um, you want to get NFL updates after the NFL draft? You can check out Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Bucks, and Locked On Jaguars, too. No matter what team you're looking for, whether it's in the NBA, NFL, NHL, or college, too, the Locked On po- Podcast Network has you covered. Just download those podcasts wherever you download them today. Just search for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team. Every day. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Um, for those of you just joining us, uh, my name is Philip Rosmerich. I'm the host of Locked On Magic. I'm joined by Adam Papatorgia, the host of the Pop- Penny and Pops podcast. Uh, we are re-watching Game 1 of the 1995 Eastern Conference Playoffs second round, airing currently on Fox Sports Florida. If you don't have that, you can go to orlandomagicdaily.com. Check inside the video vault uh, on that page. Scroll down to 1995 Playoffs and click on this game. Uh, we are re-watching this game. Uh, we were, while I was trying to fix our audio issues, um, I, uh, we were talking about Young Shaq, uh, and we were talking about um, what was special about this 1995 team? Uh, Adam, uh, just maybe recap a little bit what we were what we were talking about um, as I let Aaron Goldstone into the room. Um, quick question: I, I did just get distracted by is this Shaq's best haircut as a Magic player? I think it might. I think it might be. Um, Aaron Goldstone of or- of Orlando Pinstripe Post will be joining us shortly. I hope. Um, uh, uh, Ad- but Adam, um, no, but um, going back to Shaq. So I mean, look, young Shaq's amazing. Every other game. Game. He's he's diving into the stands. Um, he he's um, got, quick, he's not shy to go coast to coast. Basically on his own, he'll take a rebound, go the full distance of the court. He'll dunk it. He'll throw no look passes. And I mean, look, his rookie season, the Magic went from the worst team in the NBA to a forty-one and forty-one record as a rookie. And I mean, and Shaq was a first-time All Star his rookie campaign, which you can't say that for a lot of rookies since Shaq. So I mean, it's. The man was a beast. That's all. That's all you got to know. Yeah, um, uh, we're joined now by Aaron Goldstone of Orlando Pinstripe Post as well. Aaron, uh, welcome to the welcome to the watch party. How are you doing today? Good, Phil. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing doing good. Uh, we're, we're doing our we're doing our best to make sure the audio works this time, uh, unlike the last time when I struggled to to have it work. But um, but obviously we're we're going to enjoy watching this game. We're talking a little bit about the 1995 season and and what made that Magic team uh, so special, kind of even before they got to the playoffs. I mean, it's just, I, I remember I was, I was what, six, seven years old when this, when this series happened. Um, just, it, it, everything just felt so special and so new about this team. Um, Aaron, what, what memories do you have of, of this 1995 team? Yeah, so this would have been the summer, uh, I was in sixth grade. So I guess I was 11, about to be 12. Um, I was just kind of thinking on, as I was logging in here, like I was thinking about this team in, in middle school, like sixth, seventh grade around that, that time frame. My friends group, we would always like kind of compete to see like who had the newest Magic jersey. We tried to collect pretty much the whole starting five. So I think I had like a white Shaq, um, the black Penny, the blue Horace, uh, a white Dennis. We kind of mix and match and trade jerseys with each other. But the dopest thing was the shorts. Like you were really cool. You had pickle coolness in middle school if you could wear um, those those magic uh, replica shorts, and they pretty much went in middle school with with every uh, top. So you know it was all about wearing the gear. These guys, uh, the starting five especially, they were like the Beatles. They were just the coolest thing. And you know ninety five, ninety six kind of correlates to when I, I really started getting into basketball. I was kind of raised in a baseball household, but but you know, going to Magic Games as a little kid and then watching this whole situation evolve from Shaq to Penny to the way they, they formed this team. These guys were about as good as it got in Central Florida, um, you know, when, when I was in middle school. 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I, it amazes me, and, and you guys have all, you know, kind of interacted with the Magic blogosphere and interacted with Magic fans really around the world. It, it amazes me the impact that this group still has. So, so many people, I feel like, became basketball fans, became Magic fans because of this team. As much as Michael Jordan, I think, influenced so much of the world, like, this Magic team rode a lot of those coattails too, I, I feel like. And I mean, some of it came because they, they went to London, I think, in 93, in 93 this preseason of 93, to play the Hawks. Um, this, this team really, I mean, this team still resonates today. I mean, Aaron, you can maybe speak to what SB Nation did trying to find the best team that didn't, that didn't win a title. The Magic won the East. Like, I, I would have never, I mean, I know this team is popular. They had the documentary made about them, obviously. I would have never expected this team to, to still resonate that much with people. Yeah, and, and there was never a shadow of a doubt that this was going to be kind of the last hurrah. I mean, this was the beginning. Like, this was kind of a, a team that, at this point, was achieving pretty quickly. This was Penny's second year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Third year. And if you think about kind of the NBA hierarchy, just if you watch, like, the the Jordan documentary, Last Dance right now, and, and you know, I know it was a different landscape in the NBA back then, but how long, you know, it took Michael Jordan to get over the hump of, of the Pistons and, you know, how long it took uh, the documentary mentioned the Pistons to get over the Celtics. And, like, you kind of earn your stripes in the NBA, but this was happening probably a year or two faster than I think people um, even realized. And this was just the beginning, but now we look back on it and, you know, it, it was it was so short and sweet. For modern basketball fans, kind of like when the Thunder had Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and they got ousted in the finals, but they kind of, those three guys huddled as the Heat were about to eliminate them. And you got the feeling this was the beginning of a run. And then that, that was it. Like, that was the last time we would hear from them. So, same type of situation. Yeah, I mean, de- definitely was. I mean, I think this Magic team, you know, I, I often said, you know, after after I watched this Magic moment, um, you know, I was, I, I, I'm not, I'm going to be that guy here. I was at the premiere of this Magic moment, or, or yeah, what, the Orlando yeah. premiere. Um, and and I, was, I was speaking, I think, with one of the producers afterward, and it just said, and what really caught me was how much the movie was about how naive you are when you're young, when, when you know, the world just seems so open to you that anything can happen, and, and you don't ever think it's going to end, and yet everything does end, and it can crash so quickly. Um, we don't want to dwell too much on the end of this team. Uh, we can certainly talk about that another day. Um, you know, we before before I fixed the audio issue that we had here on on the live stream, uh, we were talking about the Magic's first round series against Boston and 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 how you know the Magic had some real struggle. It, you know, they they ran through the Eastern Conference. I think they won fifty nine games that year. Fifty seven. Uh, fifty seven games. They they weren't best, they weren't best record in the East. So fifty seven best record in the East. They faced the Celtics in the first round. They beat them in a really hard fought four games. And you know, I think everyone. What they don't mention about that Boston team, probably one of the worst teams, regular season teams at least, to make the playoffs. I think they only won, what, 36, 37 games that year? Maybe less. You're probably not wrong. Um, um, I mean, look, they're they're riding an, an aging Dominique Wilkins, I believe, at, at that point. Yeah. And, I mean, look, still, the Magic, like we're talking about, I mean, here this is like a 22, 23-year-old Shaq. You got a 23-year-old Penny here. Again, the Magic went from you know the worst re- worst team in the league to 41 and 41 Shaq's uh, rookie season. The next season, you got you bring on a rookie Penny. 
you you get swept in the playoffs by by the Pacers, but hey, you made it to the playoffs for the very first time, and then here you go, 95 playoffs, and you're about to make this this run here with a team that. Oh, the only thing they added was Horace Grant, but it's a heck of an addition when you have a prime Horace Grant who's already won three championships at this point. You know, I, I, that's, a, that's a good segue. I mean, we're, we're talking here, there's about 2.30 left in the first quarter for those trying to watch along, however you're watching along. Uh, the Magic are up 18-17. The score is 18-17. I don't know who's up at this point. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about the game as it's going on here uh, when we get a little bit deeper into. But uh, I've always had this theory that... Horace Grant was such a big difference, and you know maybe maybe I have this theory more because I I was so young when this team happened, and so it's kind of looking back more. But I'm curious what you guys think. How how important was Horace Grant's addition to this team? A you know obviously you're in the the mid '90s where teams are still using a lot of big power forwards, and Horace Grant was as good of a big power you know as good of a and kind of enforcer power forward as there was at the time. He brings championship experience. I think I really do think he brought an air of seriousness to this young team, and and in many ways kind of showed them the way on how to pace themselves and, and win at a high level. Um, you know, he obviously he comes up big throughout this series. I think Phil Jackson famously says uh, after game three or four, Horace Grant's going to beat us. You know, I I don't I I don't want anyone else to beat us but Horace Grant. I mean, it seems like Chicago kind of picked him out to be the weak link and he delivers for them in the end, although he's not on the floor during the, during the decisive run in game six, uh, ironically. Um, how important do you guys feel like Horace Grant's presence was to this team? Obviously, I mean, he's kind of the star, I feel like, of, of the last, of the last uh, episode of The Last Dance. He had the, the quote, obviously. But um, uh, to me, that, uh, that only solidified to me how important Horace Grant's presence was to making the 95 Magic so good. So I, for this series in particular, Horace is immense. I think he averages over 18 points per game in this series in a double-double for the whole series. This, this game, I think he scores 12, which is probably his lowest scoring game of the series. Um, I mean, look, Horace Grant is the reason why the Bulls end up bringing in Dennis Rodman. It, it, it really is because you look at this Bulls team during this, this series right here, this 95 series, they don't have anyone that properly matches up with Horace. They don't. They either have to throw in, you know, Kukoc on him. That's just a mismatch, be it either on the glass or in the paint, or you know, I, I don't know. You'll you'll see they'll throw, they'll they'll mix it up a little bit here and there. But I mean, Phil Jackson, be it I don't know, out of spite, be it out of cockiness, he wants Horace Grant to to make jump shots in this series. And guess what? He does. Horace shoots a ridiculous percentage in this series, but. I mean, you said it yourself, Phil. Horace is—it brings that seriousness. He brings that championship pedigree that the Magic, being so young, needed. I mean, you know, they're—they're—they're. They're, they're, you know, we already talked about how young Penny and Shaq are, but I mean, you got Nick that's like 27. I think Dennis Scott's uh, 25. So I mean, you got guys that are, you know, some of the first few picks in Magic history, but they hadn't really experienced much or much of the postseason and. When you have a guy like Horace, he brings all that experience, and it it worked out. Obviously, we made it to the finals. Yeah, Aaron, do you have any thoughts on 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 Horace Grant and 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 his importance in in, in this team developing the way it did? Tree Rollins yeah. alert. <laughs> when uh when Adam was talking, I just actually looked it up. So what I remember is the Magic had to actually make a few maneuvers to be able to clear enough cap space to bring Horace Grant in. And, you know, you kind of forget about it, but not only did the Magic have to ship off Scott Skiles, but for the Wizards to take Scott Skiles, I believe they had to attach two first-round draft picks, which is 
a pretty you know large sum just to, to carve out that role so that gives you an idea how important bringing Horace Grant was in probably not, to- not only not only that the magic broke the rules they went to court they had to go to court to defend the contract they gave Grant the court said no this violates the CBA they had to restructure his contract I don't think like if I think a basketball reference that shows they signed him in like August and it was because mm-hmm. they had to go through this whole court battle to just to sign him. So one of the two first-round picks the Magic gave up to Washington, Washington flipped to Golden State, and that ended up being Vince Carter in 1996. So, I mean, th- there's there's a lot going on, but I kind of digress. So, you know, Horace, what's pretty cool, obviously, he brings the championship pedigree, but he's also somebody that could, and we know how valuable these players are, can impact a game without needing the ball a whole lot. So he was perfect for Shaq and Penny because, you know, as they were ascending in their careers, he could still make a difference by setting screens, by playing defense, by rebounding, by doing what needed to be done. But also, he didn't need to have a high usage or anything. You know, it was more like Adam said about his presence and just being there. And uh, I would say on a smaller scale, you know, Brian Shaw kind of brought the same type of stability off the bench. You know, he didn't play nearly as many minutes. But those two um, guys um, that, that the Magic brought in prior to the season, Horace and uh, Brian Shaw, you know, really, I think heading into that season, you know, made the organization feel like that was enough to maybe not make a run to the finals, but at least compete, you know, um, and get to the point that they're at right now. Yeah, def- I mean, definitely to take that next step. I mean, you're, you're expecting growth from Penny and Shaq. I mean, the, the, Shaq was an all-star the first two years of his career. Penny was, you know, I, I, Penny was, you know, in the running for Rookie of the Year, but he was clearly such an impactful player. You're expecting the, both those guys to to really take a step up uh, and, 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 you know, adding in veterans. I mean, I, I mean, I honestly think, you know, I, I'm watching the last dance and, and, and kind of my takeaways from the first four episodes is very much about how you build championships. And, you know, the first part is obviously go get your star and, and do what you got to do to go get the guys that you think can surround him the best, uh, you know, like in a Scottie Pippen. Uh, after that, it's about finding veterans to, to kind of lend you toughness, uh, especially back, and obviously, especially back in the early 90s, when you know you could pretty much destroy people for for getting in the lane, um, you've got to you've got to be able to kind of project toughness and, and just have a very tough frame of mind. And you know you know you look at Horace in those in, in that documentary, especially early on, you can kind of see him as the one that was complaining a lot. You know Jordan Jordan complaining a lot about the the officials and the physicality, but they grew past that and they were the ones obviously putting the physical hurt on the Pistons. And then once you have that confidence, once you have that kind of physical dominance. As, as Grant pulls down a really nice rebound there. Um, once you have that physical dominance, then you've got everyone where you want them. And so you, I feel like, you know, like going back even to this year's Magic team, you need, you need someone with a little bit of an edge. You need someone that's not afraid to, to mix things up and, and change things and, and really put their physical imprint on the game. And that's what a guy like Horace Grant does. That's, that's what a guy like Brian Shaw even did. Shaw was known as a good defender and, Apparently Dennis Scott can block three pointers, so it's it's Dennis getting the getting the bucket in the in down low in the paint. Then look at that block on MJ. Wow, to end the quarter. That's a that's a big momentum. Uh, we are the Magic are up twenty two to nineteen here at the end of the first quarter. If you're trying to follow along, however you can stream this game, you can the game is uploaded from someone's VCR on YouTube. Um, it, that's that's honestly the first time I rewatched this game. I um uh, it is it is not the greatest quality uh, because it's from 95 but it is still a decent quality uh, nonetheless
also hit pause real fast on on whatever on however you're watching this game. We're gonna take a break because we gotta pay a few bills here on Locked On Magic. But I, I promise you, this will be worth your time because it is my favorite life hack. You know, it's it's hard to find time to sit down and read anymore. I mean, we're all constantly busy, and yes, even though we are socially distanced and isolated in our quarantines, it still feels like we are busier than ever. So when you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem. I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, on your lunch break, or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had the time to. You can listen to Blinkist wherever you listen to uh, listen to audio. I mean, I, I'm a big podcast guy. I put podcasts on when I'm walking to work, when I'm driving around in my car. It is the perfect situa- perfect setting and the perfect situation to get a quick book, to get the bite-sized version of some of the best books out there, popular books such as Upheaval, Turning Points for Nations in Crisis by Jared Diamond, the Sports Gene Inside the Science of Extraordinary Athletic Performance by David Epstein. How Champions Think in Sports and in Life by Dr. Bob Rotella and Bob Cullen. And this one should be a good one. Tiger Woods by Jeff Benedict. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. Again, you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. Again, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Give it a second. You can go ahead and press play pretty soon. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You know, we're, we'll, we'll talk more about the game. We're trying to set the table a little bit here early on um, about what basketball was like uh, in the mid-90s. And, you know, I think I think Adam and I were talking about this uh, while we had the audio issues, um, but uh, we talked about it off air. Um, going to a game at the arena was such a different experience at this time. Um I hope I hope it's coming through the TV. Um, I don't have it like full volume, but I hope it's coming through the TV. Just how intense games were when that building was full and kind of at full throat. Um, Adam, 
you know, you, I mean, Adam and Aaron, I, you both, I, you both went to games in that era. What, what do you guys remember most about games at the arena back in the day? So, you know, it's a big game when you see the old arena bunting all around the, the concourse uh, being thrown up in the, uh, in the upper bowls. But I mean, look for this game, I looked up the attendance because for, I think <laughs> for standard magic game back then before they, uh, they uh, redid the seating. I think a sellout was like fifteen thousand seven hundred at this time. This game is a is a is sixteen thousand ten people are in the building. So there's it's standing room only for this one. It's that that arena was first and foremost a basketball arena. It's not an it wasn't an all entertainment type of facility. It was basketball first. You you didn't have a bad seat in that building. You had great sidelines. I've I've sat close courtside. I've sat all the way, very last row, very last seat, touching against the walls of, of the upper bowl in the arena. You had amazing seats. The fan noise, it, it was not, it's almost nothing like it. I mean, it's the arena was a quarter of the size square footage wise as what the Amway Center is. So when you have a much smaller building, you're going to have that noise from the crowd just emanating just echo just making ridiculous noise I and mean, it's just unbelievable and so i mean the magic during these mid 90s the magic have if not the best one of the best crowds in in sports not just nba it's amazing aaron what, what do you what do you remember about games from 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 that era of, of magic basketball yeah, so, like, it, it's weird, like, these senses are coming back to me, like, I'm thinking about the smell, like, as soon as, as you get into the arena, you, you get just hit with this whiff of funnel cake, and it was such a strong <laughs> smell, and anybody that's been there, you know what I'm talking about, and, you know, unlike the Amway Center, the corridors, you know, were, were pretty tight, especially in big games, and so, you know, lines going to the bathroom, I remember being so long, where I was a little kid, you just, you just hold it, like, you know, you don't want to miss any basketball, and and um, I mean, the whole experience, my, my uncle had season tickets in 89 in the inaugural season. So I would have been like five at that point and a couple times you know, that he brought me even, you know, when they were off, you know, they, they always packed the house. It was the, just the coolest thing to see the intro, the way that the starting, uh, you know, lineups were announced. Um, stuff was just like the craziest mascot I had ever you know, fat, fat stuff. Oh, still, fat still stuff. the best. Like exactly. love stuff now. So, Fat stuff, I mean, still now, the best. Even now, I mean, we, the, you know, the, we, when we cover the games, there's so much that goes on, you know, when they go to commercial breaks and, and stuff just does things and tries things that no other, you know, it scares us to death half the time in the media room. But, um, yeah, just the whole experience, especially when they weren't winning games early on, you know, they had to make it as fan-friendly as they could. And, and it was, you know, concessions and, you know, um, the merchandise. And just I, I kind of bought into the whole thing. And, and I definitely miss – you know, the old, the intimacy of the old arena, but obviously, you know, in modern sports, um, you know, for reasons like concerts and the whole entertainment experience, I understand Amway, but um, uh, the arena for Predators games and Magic games was just absolutely lit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, they, they don't make arenas like this anymore. It, it everything really is on top of the court. Um, it, it got so loud. I was, I was talking with Adam before, before, um, that, you know, it, I, I implore, I, I, I hope everyone, if they're watching this game, you know, watch it, you know, if it's your first time watching it, definitely watch it for the game. If you've never experienced this game before, um, it's, it's a well-played game. I mean, we're not talking enough about, about the game itself, uh, at I this point. Away. Um, but, 
but I was telling Adam this, the, the thing that I, that I, that I for kind of forgot because it was just so ingrained into me. Um, and it's, it's evolved over time, but you go back and listen to like the sound effects in the stadium, the, the game ops just had no chill. Like they, they were, you know, they, they, they had, you know, sad trombone music every time someone did a travel like Paul Porter at the height of his powers. I mean, you know, there, there's a reason why we all revere Paul Porter so much. It's because like he was as much a part of the game experience as everything else. And, you know, it's, it's easy, you know, obviously we're watching the best of the, the magic from this era, um, but it's easy to fall in love with this team. Um, you know, even like going back, looking, watching the magic classics from, from earlier in the week um, where you're watching the expansion team, which by record was the worst team in magic history. I don't think it was the worst team in magic history, um, but they, but, but you could tell like they had so much fun. The crowd was so, so into it. I, I, I was surprised to hear this. Uh, during the broadcast of the Magic Knicks game, the Magic's first win, so their second regular season home game, Jack Givens said he had dinner with Sam Bowie uh, at the time with the New Jersey Nets um, and, and a fellow Kentucky Wildcat. Um, and Bowie and Bowie told him that the Orlando Arena was the loud was one of the loudest buildings he he had ever been in uh, for for an NBA game for sure. Uh, and and to me, that's just like such high praise. And and there's there's no replicating what the what a, what a big game at the arena felt like. I mean, even you know, obviously, like the 2009 playoffs. Like, I remember going to. I was in college during the 2009 playoff run. You know, I was a junior. I was a junior, I believe. So it had been essentially three years since I'd been going to Magic games pretty regularly, and so I I I, I had missed most of that run. And I, I came home for my cousin's bar mitzvah and went to Game Four of the Celtics series. And I remember walking into that building, being like, I forgot how intense deeper playoff games are. And how loud this building gets, and just there's just there's just so much bubbling anticipation uh, in that building. You really do feel like it's a pressure cooker that's about to go off um, because just everyone is just anticipating this humongous game. I mean, even the T Mac era playoff games felt special, but honestly, nothing felt as special. Honestly, even 2009, maybe it's just because I was so much younger. Nothing felt as special as these games uh, and watching this team play specifically. No, you're not wrong. Um, so I have two fun uh, Horace Grant, well, two two interesting stats. So Horace Grant averages 64.7 field goal percentage for the series. He's, on, he's almost shooting 65% for the series. He's aver- He averages 18 points, 11 rebounds per game. So this game in particular, you were talking about kind of the style of, of big men, power forwards back then. So... This game and I think game two are the only two games that Donald Royal actually starts at the three. And Donald Royal could not shoot threes at all. So we can get into that a little bit. But Dennis Scott's coming off the bench the first two games of the series. And then for this game in particular, this is Bill, this is, I almost want to call it the Bill Wennington game because Bill Wennington's going to score 14 points in this game. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 I, I, that's something interesting that, that I want to get your thoughts on. Um, I find watching older games now is a little frustrating because they, they don't know how to use the three-point line yet. A lot um, of long twos. Yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of long twos. Um, but um, what do you guys think of... I, I Personally, I think that there's a through line from this Magic team and, and, and the Rockets a little bit in 95 to kind of the, the three-point revolution that was coming. Um, you know, Obviously, they moved the three-point line in like a foot the next year. Um, but, but 
Watch it, you know, we've watched a little bit more, about a, a little bit more than a quarter now. What's different? What, what, what's the biggest thing that you notice that's different about the style of play? Uh, aside from maybe the, the, the lack of three-point shooting. Um, and, and how much do you think the Magic changed the style of play with the way that they won these games? Uh, Aaron, what, what do you think? Uh, just a ton of ISO and, yeah. and, and um, you know, post-play. You know, I mean, Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson have both, you know, from the shooting guard and small forward wing positions, um, already had the ball, you know, in the post. And obviously, when you have somebody like Shaquille O'Neal, you know, you're going to dump the ball into the post. Um, but but it's interesting because, you know, the Magic in this era were actually considered, I mean, you know, a pretty progressive offense and shot a lot of threes. But we, we like you referenced, did this thing um, – on SB Nation where we try to come up with the best magic team to never win. And, you know, was it 95 or 96? Was it 09 and 10? And it's so difficult. It's like comparing apples to oranges to look at those two eras because, you know, that's when the magic from Ryan Anderson to Jameer Nelson, from Courtney Lee to JJ, from, I mean, everybody was, was, was jacking up threes, four out and one in. And, and so, you know, on this team, it's really Dennis Scott, Nick Anderson and, and, Penny at kind of a not very efficient clip. And, and that's, you know, that's about it. So even at that, that was pretty progressive from this era. Um, a lot of long twos, the pace, you know, just wasn't there, you know, um, you know, off turnovers, of course, but just, you know, getting the ball out of the basket very deliberately and, um, you know, honestly playing kind of like a, a Steve Clifford type game, floor balance, making sure you get back on defense and, and that kind of stuff, taking care of the basketball, it does produce a lot of ugly games. I mean, especially in the playoffs when things are more physical. And, and I think the games obviously are called differently. So you're going to the foul line less as well. Uh, my, my favorite Dennis Scott story was is, is when he was at Georgia Tech, he had to convince uh, uh, the head coach there, I think it was Bobby Crum- Crummins at the time, he had to convince the head coach to let him shoot pull-up threes in transition. Like, you know, we, we all joke about Pujits. Dennis Scott had to convince him to let him do that. And, and of course, it's like, Dennis Scott, you're thinking, you know, now we think, yes, of course, Dennis Scott, take as many threes as you want. But when Scott was in college, the three-point line was still so new. <laughs> and, and he had to really convince that he could shoot them efficiently enough that it would be worth it. Um, so, you know, you're, you know, you're looking at really, so, you know, honestly, some of the pioneers of modern NBA basketball, I feel like, um, and just the way that they play. Now, obviously... You know, it, it's kind of goes without saying you surround your, po- you know, and nowadays it, it goes without saying if you have a dominant post-up player like Shaq, you surround him with shooters and space the floor and that's all you have to do. But, you know, that's that's not really how this league worked. I mean, it, it, you know, you're seeing a lot of straight post-ups because that's kind of the titans of, of what they do do in the league. But, um, you know, the Magic were really, you know, it felt like, you know, even Horace Grant, he could step out and hit that 18-footer, really tried to, to spread the floor a lot more than a lot of teams did at this time. And, and you're certainly, I think, seeing that a little bit, especially as Chicago tries to to double down on Shaq and, and keep him from having a big game. Sorry, I'm watching some of these matchups right now. Like Pete Myers is playing about eight minutes too many that he should be <laughs> playing in this game. But I mean, there's there's so many miss, I mean, just so much um, you know, like mismatching and just mixing it up basically that there's a lot of experimentation these first two games. You got Steve Kerr playing a bunch of backup point guard minutes, and he's got to deal with the height of either Brian Sharp or Penny. You got poor Tony Kukoc has to deal with Horace in the paint. 
And then Scottie Pippen, they're trying to figure out who he should guard. Like he's guarding Penny a little bit. He's guarding Dennis a little bit. He's guarding Nick a little bit. Like they're throwing Scottie all over the place, trying to figure out who he should guard because I mean, Scottie Pippen is, is the best defensive player on, on this floor. I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand why the move off the bat is put Scottie on Penny. And, and obviously they're, they're going at each other uh, as, as we're talking about it with, with Scottie committing a reach in foul. Um, it, to me, it, you know, it's, you know, they talked about it in, in the last dance, and, and maybe we'll get some thoughts on, on that here. Um, but putting Scotty on Magic Johnson won them that series. Um, you know, they, they took Michael off of Magic in game, after game one. Scotty locks down Magic Johnson, and that's, that's the series. The Bulls win their first title. To me, you put Scotty on Penny almost immediately. That, that, that's your best bet. And, you know, who, who started at point guard? B.J. Armstrong? You could probably have B.J. chase it. B.J. Pro- Armstrong started at point guard, yeah. yeah. You could, you oh, could, yeah, there's there's a couple former Magic men in this game, even though maybe a little bit brief. B.J. Armstrong, Steve Kerr, and Jeff Bushler are uh, are going to end up becoming. Uh, well, Steve Kerr was a Magic player before uh, joining this this Magic yeah. team, but or this Bulls team. But um, later on, Magic would get Judd Bushler and uh, and B.J. Armstrong. So, um, sorry, Aaron, I think I cut you off there. You can go. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> Oof. But. That's, that's 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 a tough 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 step. The last Penny. dance, the last dance. I guess the they're they're gonna get to that ninety four. Well, they're gonna get to MJ's eventual retirement and coming back. I assume. I, I I imagine we will be we will be hearing about this game in particular, not this weekend, but next weekend. Probably yeah. Around if, if, uh, if I if I were to seven, seven and eight probably episode seven and eight. Yeah. If if, right. if I were to guess, the next episode's the dream team and. The next and and the next title or the dream team in the next title, and then the second episode this Sunday will be that third title over the Suns and Jordan's retirement, and then episode seven will be Jordan coming back and failing in the play, failing against the Magic. And yeah, yeah, I said failing. This is his last playoff series defeat. He's, he's fail. He fails in the series. He does, and uh, I think uh, Donald Royal is about to have his ba- best uh, Magic moment and yeah, best Magic moment probably ever at the end of this game. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, we gotta talk about Donald Roy just a little bit because as he actually just scores right here on cue. But um, Donald Royal, he the Magic get a lot out of him considering he really just did not want to shoot outside of ten feet. I mean, he was primarily a guy who defended and went to the rim. And you know what? He was pretty good for for those first few years before, uh, unfortunately, his body would would fail him way too soon in his playing career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and Donald Royal, like, all-time magic guy. All-time magic lifer, um, I feel like. I feel like he's, you know, he's someone, like, that, like there are certain players that that only magic fans really appreciate. Uh, you know, like, you know, Donald Royal, you know, Anthony Bowie, um, although, you know, maybe, you know, I, 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 don't, know, I don't know exactly what happened with, with, with him and, and, and how that thing went on. Went, went on. Um, if, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it today, at least. Um, um, uh, you got guys, you know, Daryl Armstrong, honestly. Like, I think a lot of people around the league don't understand why the Magic have such an affinity for Daryl Armstrong if, if they just looked at his stats. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of Magic lifers kind of on this. Jeff Turner, Pat Garrity. Jeff Turner, Pat Garrity. Um, uh, I'll throw Derek Strong's name D. in Strong. There. <laughs> um, there's, no, there's, you're right. Yeah. Other than uh, people that have worked for the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the only Magic fans can really know what Daryl Armstrong meant yeah. to the franchise. 
Um, Royal Royal is the one that that had the trip that did the Ricky Davis triple double before Ricky. No, Davis no, did. no, Anthony. Bowie no, that was did. Bowie. That was Bowie. Okay, that's the one where uh, Doug Collins, who I believe is coaching the Pistons at this point, is uh, very, very unhappy with what, what Anthony Bowie did. Or maybe it's New <laughs> Jersey Nets. I can't remember now. I'm confusing teams, but um, I just remember Doug Collins being absolutely furious at Anthony Bowie for doing the Ricky Davis triple double. So, yeah, uh, yeah, they walked off the floor. It reminded me when we were watching the last dance last time. That's what it reminded me because it was like you know a few seconds left, and it was like you said a total setup. And the Pistons were so angry they just you know left a little bit early and didn't shake hands or anything. Walked off. Yeah, yeah. Um, always, always these fun stories in, in Magic history. I feel like um, I, I'm sure every team has them, but but certainly, certainly we have we have them too. Um, um, you know, we're 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 gonna we're gonna get to a point here where the game's gonna be gonna be uh, you know game, this game is tight the entire way. I mean, I know we haven't talked a lot about the game itself, um, and, and we'll get to it. Uh, I'm sure because because this this game does stay tight the entire way through. I mean, this is this is this is a a humongous game. Um, you know, I, I, Adam and I were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, uh, and I'm curious what you think about this, Aaron. Is this the mo- is this the, the great hey, let's start with this question. Is this the greatest game in magic history? Or and um, or is this the most important moment in magic history coming up here? Yeah, I mean it, it's definitely up there. I mean, obviously when you think about the end and you know, um Nick Anderson stealing the ball and the famous call and just the way that that play in this game set the tone. For the series, I mean, it's the Bulls. It's Michael Jordan, you know, winning that first game in a close contest, you know, I think really empowered these guys. I mean, obviously, Michael Jordan's coming back from retirement and wasn't fully back to being MJ, but, I mean, he's still Michael Jordan, and it's still the Bulls, and you still have Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson and so on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this moment – I also think, you know, I was, I was there. I'm kind of partial to game six of the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, sending – LeBron home because I think nationally the push to want the LeBron Kobe finals was so significant and it was kind of a us versus the world mentality of the magic versus every other um you know at that point I really think casual NBA fans thought the magic because they shot so many threes were soft and Floyd Howard wasn't somebody that you could count on in the playoffs or late in the game so for him to have such a big game to send LeBron home, I mean, I think that was a pretty defining moment in in Magic history. Um, but but this one certainly was as well, just because it was kind of like the rival of the franchise, you know, on the national scale. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I forget, mean, I, I forget Penny Jams' toe in this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I feel like I mean, I felt this way too. I mean, I guess I guess my big point of reference because I I wasn't basketball conscious back when this game was played. You know, I, I followed the team, I watched the team, but I didn't really know what was going on. And, and I feel like, you know, 2009, you could you could tell certain moments where it was very clear that that this team could do something really special. Um, you know, I think about like the Jameer Nelson game against the Lakers in Los Angeles. Uh, that game cemented him as an All Star. And that's that, that road trip when the Magic beat the Lakers and Nuggets on back-to-back nights on the road. I feel like that's the moment where I was like, this team isn't just a really nice team. This team could could maybe do it. Like, they could win the championship. And then you had, you know, beating Boston in Game 7. You know, winning Game 1 against the Cavs the way they won Game 1. 
that was probably the, 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 the first time where I was like, you know, I, I think throughout the 2009 season, I felt like the Magic were a year ahead of schedule, that 2010 was going to kind of be their year. Um, it was going to be their year to really contend. And, and you know, anything you get, you know, get out of this year was, was kind of gravy. To, that, that was really the moment where I was like, the Magic could win a championship. And, and I kind of feel like this game, you know, kind of proving a lot of doubters wrong who maybe thought that the Bulls would win the series because they had Michael or whatever. This game, I think, really proved to the Magic, like, hey, we can beat anybody. And, and kind of in the same way that, that game one of the finals kind of crushed their spirits, I feel like this game made them believe that they could actually do it. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, look, this game is is up there with you know, game three of the 2009 NBA Finals, where the Magic have their only NBA Finals win from that game. It ranks up there with you know, Aaron already said that game six uh, win over uh, LeBron in 09, which was on my 21st birthday, which made that a very fun night. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you have, uh, you know, game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals in 1995, where even though it was a blowout against the Pacers, it was fun because we were, ba- everyone was basically having a party the whole second half, if you were either at home or in the arena for that game. Um I mean, this is def- this, this game is is definitely top five. It's where in that top five you want to put it is gets very interesting with that. Um, Phil and I will forever kindly disagree. I think the 09 Magic were better than 2010 Magic, even though JJ Redick himself has come out and said that 2010 Magic team was better than the 09 Magic team. But um, I just think that 09 Magic team, what what they lacked maybe offensively uh, from what the 2010 team had, they gained back more defensively. And I think the, the ratings actually show that where the 09 magic team was better defensively than the 2010 team. But um, we're splitting I mean, hairs game, at that point though. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to argue, argue, you know, I, I, there's an argument to be made for both teams. I'm not, I don't think it's, it's a debate. It's an argument, but you know, it's, it's ultimately preference at the end of the day, because they're both very, very good teams. So Aaron, settle it for us. <laughs> yeah, it's we've been talking a lot about that um, that OPP. So like, I don't know. Like, I just looking at basketball reference, like the 2010 team is a little bit deeper. I mean, I was kind of shocked. I mean, just one through 12, like they only carried 12 people on the roster. I mean, it was a pretty healthy season. But what you lose, okay. So in 10, what you lose is in 09. Obviously, before you got hurt, Jameer Nelson was playing at an All Star level. In 2010, you know, he took a step back. Richard Lewis definitely took a step back from 9 to 10. So while you do see improvement in Ryan Anderson and J.J. Redick, and, and it's a deep team in 2010, um, I think players were playing at a higher level in 09, um, like the complementary players. I mean, Dwight had a massive 2010 season, but, you know, Jameer was a little bit better pre-injury. Um, Richard was a little bit better. I mean, losing Turkaloo, you know, just kind of, for me, is a lot – you know, Vince Carter wasn't the Vince Carter that, that we – he was fine. He was fine, but he wasn't he wasn't the Vince Carter that I think the Magic needed, especially in the playoffs. And so um, I know I'm in the minority. I'll agree with Adam. I, I think 09 was a team that played better um, up to their capabilities. I think 2010 was pretty talented. I don't think, I don't think they played to their, their abilities. I, I, I agree with that. I think – the 2009 team, at their best, they played. They played to their potential. They played 
at the at the level they needed to play at to win to win. Whereas the 2010 Magic, they, they were probably more consistent. Their their floor was maybe a little bit higher, but in the moment that mattered in the two 2010 Eastern Conference Finals, they obviously didn't deliver. And 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 I think that that I mean, Boston was incredible too. I mean, yeah. they just clamped defensively. I mean, it, it's it makes all the difference in the world to have Garnett, and it's just. You know, obviously the Magic didn't play KG the year before, but yeah, no, no, for sure, and and I think that colors a lot of things to to be honest. But um, um, let's 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 start. They both won fifty nine games in the regular season, and so Jeez, I shit. mean, looking at this ninety five Magic team, I mean, they won fifty seven. The next year, they put up the franchise best sixty wins in ninety five ninety six. The Shaq gets a putback dunk over MJ, so. Um, Shaq's about to take over this game, I think. He he's he has the game high twenty six points. Um, this magic the magic ride defense hard in this game one. I think Pippen only goes two of eleven from the field. MJ's only eight of twenty two from the field. He doesn't reach even twenty points. And the magic ride defense in this game one. Yeah, uh, the Magic up 43-36 with 2.33 left in the second for those that are watching along. Um, we've hinted at, at, at some things about young Shaq and, and, and what, young, what the young Shaq experience was like. I, I think, you know, I know Shaq with the Lakers was super dominant, but I, I, I watched the, the, the Magic Classic from, from the, heat, the Heat game um, over the weekend, uh, the, his, his first game, his debut game. And the only thing I could think of was, Man, if, if Shaq had grown up in today's NBA, he would have been Zion plus a thousand. Like he's just so quick and so big that that like, I, I honestly don't understand how teams handled him. I mean, at this point, the only way you could handle him is just to out physical oh. him and and use his youth against him. Shaq hit actually Shaq and I'm sure we could really do a deep dive if you look at it. Shaq actually came up pretty big at the line in, in pressure situations. Like we're gonna look at this game. He's very efficient. He's seven of eleven from the field, but he's twelve of sixteen from the free throw line in this game, which is really great for him. And I know we were talking about how uh, you know the, for the Bulls' last dance, the '97 '98 season, how they were rock stars. But this mid '90s Magic team. They get treated like rock stars, if not as much, maybe just slightly less than, than MJ's team. You know, the whole rock star mentality of a basketball team doesn't start till the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. But then I don't think those early 90s Bulls team get treated the way they did in 97, 98. I mean, this 94, 95, and especially the 95, 96 Magic with Shaq and Penny just taken off, they do get treated like rock stars. It's... It, you know, we should swell it a little bit in the this magic moment and, uh, you know, the game's kind of 30 for 30 a little bit. But, um, I mean, Shaq, he, he, he was the crossover guy. I mean, he, on top of being a beast at basketball, he's, you know, coming out with movies. He's doing these rap collaborations or these rap albums. And he, he was a man of, of, of immense talent, both on and off the court. And, and we're now joined by our good pal, Zach Oliver of Orlando Pinstripe Post as well, coming in here for the, the tail end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. Uh, Zach, welcome, welcome, welcome to the watch party. Hey, uh, it took long enough because technical difficulties, but you know, we're here. Always technical difficulties on, on, on our watch parties, but uh, glad to have you here, Zach. Uh, we're, 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 uh, we're, you know, we know where we are mid, near the end of the first half here, talking a lot about Shaq and, and young Shaq. 
and how, you know, I think, I think history's kind of forgotten what young Shaq was. Slow-mo put that dunk over MJ alert. <laughs> yeah, he's, young Shaq was, uh, I mean, uh, I, I mean, like literally I would describe young Shaq as like, as, as, as Zion Williamson times a hundred, like he's, He's young, he's, he's fast, he's quick, he's big, he's not afraid to overpower people. Um, that's really, I mean, if, if Shaq had grown up in an era where big men were taught to shoot, Shaq would have figured out how to shoot and he would have been darn near unstoppable. But of course, in this day and age, you, you sent the ball to the post, you, put, you, you, de- you dip the ball in the post just like they're doing with Penny right here and try and score as close to the basket as you can and let chaos reign from there. And, and that's, that's how Shaq grew up and that's how he played and that's how he dominated. And, you know, I, I, honestly, I would argue Magic Shaq was the best version of Shaq. The problem is he didn't, he didn't stay in Orlando long enough to keep playing this style. He became Laker Shaq, uh, which, you know, got a little fat and happy, I would say. Still very good. Don't get me wrong. Still very good. But a little fat and happy. Like Magic Shaq was otherworldly. I think the well, the problem is too. He ran into a, a peak Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest problem. Hakeem Hakeem taught him a few lessons. Hakeem, I mean, and look, people talk about the '95 Finals matchup between Shaq and, and Hakeem. Shaq holds his own. Like people think Hakeem embarrassed Shaq. That's not. That wasn't the issue. It really wasn't. Shaq goes toe to toe with Hakeem. Yeah, Hakeem gets the better of him, but it's not by much. And again. Hakeem Olajuwon has one of the greatest primes in NBA history. That 94, uh, 93 to 95, 96 run for Hakeem is one of the best for any basketball player ever. And that's why people think Hakeem is one of the greatest centers ever is because of his prime. Hakeem doesn't get enough credit either, I don't think, for how good he was. Supremely and some, and, some, and some of that is because he didn't face the Bulls. He didn't face Michael. Like... I think there's there's an interesting thought experiment to be had if the 94 Rockets had faced the 94 Bull, Bulls with Michael or the 95 Rockets had faced the 95 Bulls with, with Michael or with like a full-duty full, like, du- full duty Michael. Like Everyone just kind of assumes the Bulls would have won eight straight titles. I, I don't know if that's the case because if there is one weakness that this Bulls team has, and, and again, they get Dennis Rodman a year later, which covers up that weakness— they don't have quality centers in a league that was just full of quality centers, which is both the amazing thing about how the Bulls won their titles, but especially the, this title run, they don't have the center play to, to really compete with some of the centers that were now in their peak, whether it was David Robinson, who was MVP in 95, whether it was Hakeem, who won those two titles in 94-95, or even whether it was Shaq, who's, who has a big game here to, in, in this game one and throughout the series. All right. Um, you just and I, a we, I think we lost Phil. He's he's oh. a little frozen. Phil might be coming back. Hey, I'm, here, I'm, here, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. We can hear you. Froze for a little bit. I'm the one recording. So as long as as long as as long as my computer hears me, it's it's all good. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry about that. Can we talk about though? Like people saying, here's the thing. Michael's really good here still. This. During, during this stretch. He scores, what, 65 at, at Madison Square Garden a few games back from his comeback. And then I, I mentioned it earlier at the very start of the recording, I think, where he drops 48 in that opener against Charlotte to pretty much decimate the Hornets in that first round series. And so Michael's still really freaking good here. I just I don't, just don't think his team's good enough. Whether 
even if they beat the Magic here, I mean, it's very likely that the, the Bulls lose to the Pacers the next round. Or had they faced the, the Rockets in an NBA Finals, I think Houston just got a better team. So I think Michael's just very good. Still, I mean, it's just very great still. But the issue is the Bulls as a whole aren't that good. I mean, Bill's finding, trying to find himself, or just trying to find his, his best team at this point. His, his bench isn't that deep as Donald Royal limps off for Donald. Um, but I mean, the Magic. They Brian Hill gambles. He's going seven man rotation, eight man rotation if you count about five minutes of Tree Rollins which works out in 95, but it fails miserably in 96. The Magic get decimated by injuries in 96. Phil's run, Phil Jackson's running 11, uh, you know, 11 players, I think, in this game. Whereas the Magic, they know what they want, basically. And so you look at this Bulls team, Tony Kukoc is the third best guy in this team, but Kukoc doesn't become Kukoc till until the second three-peat run basically begins. Yeah, till, till and, the next till the next season. And then, again, Horace Grant is extremely important, not just in this game, but the entire series here. Because of Horace Grant that the Bulls end up bringing in Dennis Rodman. Without Dennis Rodman, I think the the Bulls are in big trouble again in 96. But I, 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 think, I think I made that joke while watching The Last Dance this weekend. Um, so, so, so we're not going to talk about the player that the Bulls brought Dennis Rodman in to stop? Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, and, I, I think I would hope they mention that. I really do. If they don't mention it, then I'm they, gonna be they didn't. Out. They didn't mention it in the last episode. I'm sure. Again, uh, I, I'm. I my official prediction is episode seven is when we see the Magic enter the fray and and become the rival that that could beat the Bulls. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the part, if, if you remember listening to tapes, where the tape says, flip over to side B. Uh, it's about halftime of the game uh, at, at this point. Um, I actually kind of go into a whole statement where I say this is probably the point where I'm going to uh, break the podcast up and, into two parts. So part two, the second half of game one of the 1995 Eastern Conference semifinal between the Orlando Magic and the Chicago Bulls will take place on tomorrow's episode of Locked On Magic. We, uh, Zach, Aaron, Adam, and I uh, have some great conversation in the second half. We talk about Brian Hill as the head coach of the Orlando Magic, the best coaches in Magic history as well. We talk uh, about uh, about Michael Jordan, about the, the Orlando Magic and, and, and where they kind of stood and, and what might have happened if, if that rivalry had taken off. And of course, we relive the moment in real time as Nick Anderson steals the ball from Michael Jordan. That'll be on part two, the second half of, of this episode uh, where, we, where we watch the Orlando Magic's win over the Chicago Bulls live and in person. Uh, I, first, I want to thank Fox Sports Florida for re-airing the game uh, as part of their Magic Classics program. They will be re-airing the other three Magic wins of this series. 
Thursday night, you can see Game 3 as the Magic go to Chicago and take back the lead in the, season, in the, in the playoff series with a two, for a 2-1 lead. And then Game 5 and Game 6, Game 6 a very good game, will air on Saturday. So that is, I believe, Thursday at 8 o'clock, you can watch Game 3. Uh, Saturday, I believe it is at 5.30, you can watch Game 5. And then at 8 o'clock, once again, uh, game six. Uh, check your local listings as well as, as I may have those wrong, but check your local listings uh, to, to double check when those will air. Um, so again, thanks to Fox Sports Florida for re-airing these games. Uh, they are You can find them on YouTube. You can go into the Orlando Magic Daily Video Vault uh, to, to watch these games as well and follow along with this podcast as, as we start to enter the second half coming up in just a bit. I apologize if there's no score, uh, if we don't give the score uh, often enough so you can, you can sync up uh, as best you can, but um, uh, you know, we'll definitely, definitely give it a try. Uh, as as a, you know, the conversation, our conversation definitely goes beyond the game, but we are watching the game as we watch this. Um, you can of course follow me on Twitter at Philip R underscore MD. Follow the podcast on Twitter at uh, at Locked On Magic. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all the places you download podcasts to your podcast enabled listening device. Zach Oliver is at Zach Oliver NBA. Aaron Goldstone is at Aaron Goldstone. You can find them both on Orlando Pinstripe Post. And Adam Papa Giorgio is at Adam Papa Giorgio MBO. You can also find, listen to his podcast, the Penny and Pops podcast. They've been doing a fun series uh, called Magical Movies where they go back and watch uh, some classic magic games that aren't necessarily going to be on the list for magic classics. Uh, their last episode, they looked at the infamous return of Shaquille O'Neal to Orlando, his first game back in Orlando after leaving for the Los Angeles Lakers in 1998, a game that Nick Anderson made sure would be memorable for all once again. We love you, Nick Anderson. Um, plenty plenty to talk about with Nick Anderson, too, in that second part, uh, as, as he obviously has the big moment in the game. But that's going to do it for me today. That's going to do it for this episode of Lock the Magic. Please join us tomorrow for the second half of this episode. But until then... For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Rossman-Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.